Today's reading, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 30, 31. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and then, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caphias, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, And the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city 
to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of God. Okay, thank you. Thank you for reading. Uh, let me have my welcome to you this morning. Uh, my name's Matt. Matt, for if we've not met, I'm a little bit husky. Um, bear with me. I think we'll be okay. Um, if you are joining us today, this is, uh, we've been working our way this uh, term from September through um, the early chapters of the book of Acts. We'll take a pause after today, uh, dip into the Old Testament for October, then we'll be back uh, in November. So this is our last look for, uh, uh, for a few weeks. But let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Father, we thank and praise you as we come to your word again to uh, see uh, your apostles' work, see their confidence, their boldness as your spirit was at work through them. And we pray that your same spirit will be at work amongst us this morning, giving us boldness to speak, giving us understanding to see that there is no other name but the name of Jesus Christ through which we may be saved. We do ask for his glory's sake. Amen. If you were here last time then, the focus was very much upon the name of Jesus. This uh, paralyzed man, a man who'd been lame for 40 odd years from birth, uh, in the name of Jesus is healed and very much uh, continues the emphasis upon the name of Jesus in, uh, in our passage today. Now there is nothing magical about a name. The name of Jesus is not Voldemort, he who must not be named. And if you say it out loud, by the time you get to the Deathly Hallows, the bad guys turn up because there's magic. There's nothing magic in the name. But the name of Jesus represents him. It represents his rule. And so I guess not in one sense similar to um, uh, an ambassador around the world today can operate in the name of their Sovereign in the name of their president. So were you happening to, to be the uh, British ambassador to, let's say, Australia? And uh, you uh, went to um, Canberra and said, look, I, I'd like to see the premier in the name of Queen Elizabeth II because I am the ambassador. Well, you'd get an entrance. You might have to wait a bit, but you would get access because in her name, representing her people, you have access you represent. You get the idea. Now, of course, it doesn't always work perfectly. Were you in, I don't know, rural Somalia, faced with a Al Shabab gunman, and you said, "I'm an ambassador. Can I see someone important in the name of Queen Elizabeth?" They would just laugh at you, and you'd be pretty much dismissed. It doesn't always work, of course. But where there is authority to speak in the name of a monarch, well, that's. That's impressive. That has influence. And that's really what we're talking about here. The name of Jesus Christ is his, well, it's the representation of his rule here on earth. So we saw this last time in uh, chapter 3. 
Peter, the Apostle Peter, said to this paralyzed man, chapter 3, verse 6, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he did. So there's nothing magical about this name. And yet it is representing the fact that Jesus rules on this planet. So the name of Jesus, it may not get you access to the Premier of Australia, but it would save you for eternity if you trust in this name. Where we left off last time was uh, chapter 4 and uh, beginning of it, chapter 4, verse 5. And Peter and John had been arrested and put in jail. And uh, now they're about to stand trial. And uh, what gets emphasized in the first few verses, uh, verses 5 to 7 of chapter 4, is what's quite an intimidating bunch they're going to stand before. Chapter 4, verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. The rulers, that's the sort of retired priests, um, I think is how people best understand it. The elders, those who are in post, who are ruling, the teachers of the law. I guess you're saying, here are the elite. Here are uh, the house of bishops with a few politicians thrown in and the house of lords. You're, you're standing in front of a fairly intimidating bunch of people. But it is a little corrupt as well, if you knew your history of the time. So verse 6, Adas, the high priest, was there. Well, he's not actually high priest. The Romans had got rid of him in um, AD 15. Um, but the people still thought he was. But it's a pretty nepotistic system. So when he stopped being high priest, five of his sons then became high priest. And Caiaphas, we read of here, that's his son-in-law married to his daughter. So it's a pretty cozy nepotism of a, a, a system. It's a pretty corrupt gang. And they're self-interested in maintaining the status quo. But they are the great and the good of the society. And it's before these two that Peter and John get hauled in. And they'd know, of course, that it's the same gang who tried Jesus and put him to death. So a little imposing to come before these guys. But the question put is in verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter is going to tell them. Three things. Look, you talk about salvation in the name, verses 8 to 12. We'll see their boldness in the name, 13 to 22. And when they're released, they call upon the name, 23 to 31. But it is all about this name of Jesus. First of all, Peter will explain there is salvation in the name of Jesus, verses 8 to 12. So, <clears throat> Peter, verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, because that's what we keep on seeing in the book of Acts, when you're Baptism with the Spirit is, happens once when you become a Christian. Being filled with the Spirit can happen recurrently. And whenever anyone in the book of Acts is filled with the Spirit, they speak boldly. That's what happens in Acts. Verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed... Perhaps a little sarcasm. So we're on trial for being kind, are we? Okay. Well, if we're on trial for being kind in this way, how did it happen? Verse 10. Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus did this. You know, the, the one you killed, but is alive again. Yes, that one. Sorry about that. He's back, and you haven't got rid of him. That one. 
And let's just make the point even clearer. Um, you're doing just what was predicted in the Old Testament, says Peter, quoting Psalm 118. Jesus is the stone you build is rejected. It's become the cornerstone. And we've sung that already. In an ancient, I'm sure you get this, but in an ancient building, the cornerstone was the big one. So if you're building some sort of uh, a house or temple or whatever it may be, the cornerstone, you plonk that one in place first uh, and you align all others by it. It's the corner one. And you align everything. So you think, where's this? We want it to go this, in this direction. So we put the cornerstone. It's the biggest one and it aligns the rest of the building. It's the one that bears the most weight, that one. Well, you've rejected Jesus, but he's the one God always intended to build his kingdom upon. So two untutored fishermen say to the religious elite, in the realm of religion, you could not have made a bigger mistake. This is what you're meant to do, and you've got it calamitously wrong. And of course, verse 12 is the real punch to the speech. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Two negatives to really make the point. No other name, no one else. Now, this throws up a few questions. Let me deal with the theology, then I'll deal with the objections to, to a claim such as that, okay? Let me deal with the theology first of all, because this is the main point that uh, certainly the author Luke wants us to get. Peter moves from, look, um, we've healed one man of being lame since birth, and he moves from that to say, here's a picture of the whole of salvation. So it's quite a, in one sense, quite a leap that Peter makes. Do you see that? He moves from the particular, one man healed of one condition, to the general, all can be saved. Now, we miss a little uh, hint that the passage gives us. End of verse 9. Peter says, we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, being asked how he was healed. It's precisely the same verb as the end of verse 12, by which we must be saved. You have a choice in the Greek text, the little verb, so-so. You translate it healed or saved. It's going to depend upon the context, but it's the same thing because they just had a holistic view. So you see, he take this one man being healed is just a picture of what it means for anyone to be saved, says Peter. The, the, the physical healing indicates that Jesus can heal, save spiritually for eternity. This temporal fix points towards the restoration of all things points towards another world where there is no more physical disability or mental it's a perfect world it's pointing towards that a little bit like the first flowers of spring uh, you may have put it, uh, heard it put like this growing up my father ran a, a garden nursery you know plants and all sorts of things he's quite good in his flowers and to my remember at the occasion uh, he had to tell me a few times I always thought daffodils were quite exciting um, because they meant better weather was on the way. We like daffodils, don't we, Dad, because the summer's coming. We do, but let me teach you something because he was never shy to try and do this. They're not the first flowers of spring. It doesn't quite work like that. It goes a bit like sort of snowdrops, crocuses, uh, irises. Then you get your daffodils. So you watch out for those first, okay, okay. 
Um, I've sort of just about learned that in life. Um, but here are, here's the early flowers, if you will. This one man's healing, it's just the hint of what is to come. It's just the next world breaking into this one for a moment to show what's coming in this one man's healing. So Peter takes the theology of one man being saved, healed, and says, do you see what this means for the future? The next world has popped into this one. That's his point Theologically, if I can put it in those terms. Now, of course, verse 12 is not always going to be popular in uh, the UK in 2017. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let me just, before moving on, deal with, or not deal with, mention a couple of common complaints or objections people might make. I think perhaps the most common is, aren't all religions essentially the same, though? So how can you say only by Jesus? The argument often goes a bit like this, or people put it, well, religions, they're all kind of the same, aren't they? Because they all teach you basic morals. They they, they teach you stuff about how you should live. That's what religions do. They're all the same, aren't they? The the problem is, it doesn't take a moment's thought to see a little flaw in that. We're also told secular views, secularism has morals. Uh, we have secular values in the UK. No one can ever name them, never to define what they are, but we talk about them quite a lot. Um, secular values. They teach you to be good, and we don't need religion. At that point, okay, so all religions do is give you moral values, and secularism gives you moral values, and they're all the same, so secularism and religion is the same. Oh, no, I don't think that. It's a silly argument to say they're all the same. Or take one specific example. It's not hard to say. Christianity and Islam, are they the same? They're clearly not. You can spend five minutes reading and work out they're very different views or systems. One of the most fundamental claims of throughout the scriptures or the Christian faith, God is love. No other religion says that. You do know that, don't you? It makes it meaningless in an Eastern religion where there is no God. You'll never find that statement in the Quran. Because God is aloof. A God is love versus a distant God. Which means that there are further things that flow from that. Which means that the Christian God is relational. To become a Christian means to enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. Where Islam, Allah is, is distant. He doesn't reveal himself to individuals. That would reduce him in Muslim that you can't say they're the same and of course you push it even further because God is love and he wants to relate to, him, to people he, he's entered into our world in Jesus Christ he's paid for all our sin all our mistakes by dying in Jesus Christ such is his love but again that, would, that is anathema to the Muslim mindset which Allah would contaminate himself by entering this world. Just the most cursory glance says you can't say those things are the same. They are very, very different. Or as someone put it to me last week, um, uh, well, I, I, I grew up a Hindu and I rejected Hinduism and all its myths and so I rejected all religions because they're all myths. 
What? They make, what? You can't do that. It's like saying, I wanted to get on a train to Leeds. And so I went to the station, I got on a train, it took me to Bristol. And therefore I reject all trains. Because I don't, they, I reject all trains. No trains get me to Leeds. No, you just try another one. How about that? Maybe do a little more research before you jump on one. Maybe, you know, it's, it, it, you can't. It's a nonsensical way. I reject one, therefore I reject them all. Or this, this sort of common blurring that takes place in, in people's minds. I, I hope you don't do this. Someone, this is a little while ago, put it to me. Ah, oh, yes, Jesus dying. <clears throat> it's like Odin. You know, in Norse mythology, Odin died on, he was hung from a tree or hanged from a tree, Odin. And Jesus, he was hanged from a tree. They're just myths. What? You can't do that. When was Odin hung on a tr- hanged from a tree? Anyone? Where? Oh, this is a myth. Okay. When was Jesus crucified? 33 AD. Where was it? Jerusalem. Judea. Have you ever seen Life of Brian? It says Jerusalem, Judea, 33 AD, tea time. Um, I mean, slightly tongue-in-cheek, but he's making the point. We can date this, you know. We do know when this took place. It took place at... Why? He was crucified on a cross. Why? Because that's what the Romans did. That was their form of execution. And that's why you have Roman sources and Jewish sources and Christian sources. You can't compare the two. One is an event in history well documented. One, no one... Please don't say they're the same. That is very, very sloppy thinking. It's what people do all the time, of course. I'm afraid. Aren't all religions basically the same? Oh, that's such a lazy thing to say. Don't do that. Or um, maybe one more. Um, Another thing, I guess the second one that people might say here, you'd have heard it, I'm sure. Isn't it just arrogant to say that Christianity or to say that Jesus is the only way? It's arrogant. Well, oh look, just analyze the statement and decide if it's true or not. You could say that if anything, all religions are nonsense. Well, that's very arrogant. It's very arrogant to say that. Well, it's either true or it isn't. Jesus is the only way. You don't say it's arrogant and say, therefore, I don't engage with it. Ask questions. You've got to be realistic. You don't just dismiss something with a word. That is a refusal to engage again. I had a quirky conversation this week um, with a man, uh, Doon, I think his name was. Uh, he was uh, a master's student, uh, arrived in London to study from uh, Malaysia. He'd grown up uh, a Buddhist, but uh, he said, um, oh, I got disenchanted uh, with being a Buddhist. I just didn't, didn't work for me. Growing up in Malaysia, I was very unhappy with Islam because there's a two-tier system. You get more benefits if you're Muslim than a Buddhist. Um, don't like that, therefore rejected that. So I've decided, I've come to the UK, I'll, I'll look at Christianity uh, and have a think about Christianity. And we, we chatted, it was a Christian meeting, so he was very open and, and we chatted about the essentials of the Christian faith and, and uh, he was listening, oh, it's interesting. He said, what do, you make about, what do you think about those really obnoxious Christians though? The ones who want to convert people. <laughs> and that slightly wrong-footed me, I said, uh... What, what do you mean? Because obviously, I, I'd love for you to become a Christian. I, I think that Jesus is, is the one you're searching for, actually. Uh, you've been searching for him all your life, and if you, if you followed him, 
you really would be satisfied. You would know uh, what it means to be saved. He said, no, I don't mean you. I don't mean you. You're polite. Um, I mean people who shout at me, people who are angry. And um, I said, oh, that, that's very interesting. You know, so on the TV, perhaps, you get sort of shouty, angry debate from all sides, secular, atheist, Christian, Muslim, whatever it may be. But down on the ground, here's a guy who says, look, I just want to talk to someone. I want to reason with someone. Look, I've looked into different faiths, and I, I, I'm interested. I just want a conversation. Not with one of those obnoxious ones. Fortunately, that wasn't me on this particular occasion. I can say, it's just a, I was a real eye-opener to me again, a reminder how, how you communicate with people. Look, there's no other way to be saved but through Jesus. It's obviously is important. That's what you're saying. Look, here's Peter then and John in the face of an intimidating and very powerful group. Peter says, there is only one name by which you can be saved. The person who can save you for eternity is Jesus. There's no other but him. Salvation in his name alone. And then they show boldness, verses 13 to 22. It's terrific stuff. There's boldness in the name of Jesus. Actually, there's, there's hostility, first of all. You've, you get the, um, the powers that be in verses uh, uh, 13 to 18, I guess. Verse 13. <clears throat> when the uh, religious authorities, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. Actually, it's the same word as boldness, parasia. It's the same word that we keep translating boldness. They just do a whoopsie here and translate it differently to, uh, to cunningly hide that fact. But when they saw the courage or boldness of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that this man had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They're stuffed. You know, they could see everyone knew whatever this man was called, Joshua, who'd been lame for 40 years. He'd been lying outside the temple for 40 years. Everyone knew he was a lame man now. He was walking around. Oh, dear. So verse 15, they ordered them, the apostles, Peter and John, they ordered them to withdraw from the uh, Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They're not interested in the truth. They just want to maintain their position. And they don't want the people unsettled. So verse 18, they called them in again, Peter and John, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. No interest in what's true. Let me just read you one sentence. I read in one of the commentators this week, I thought this was a very striking thing to say and somewhat pointed. You can hold the highest religious office in the land, enhanced by centuries of tradition, surrounded by all forms of liturgy and ritual, You can profess faith in the one true God and still not be saved. Ouch. Slightly biting comment. You can have it all, religiously speaking, in terms of stature and position, but not know Jesus and not be interested in finding the truth. Ouch. 
So there's intimidation, verses 13 to 18. They, they try to apply all the force they can. But uh, 19 downwards, uh, the, Peter and John are having none of it. Verse 19, Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. That's terrific, isn't it? Peter and John, they're there, and they don't ask, right, um, this is a slightly intimidating scenario, they don't ask, what's safe? What's popular? What's going to work right now? Don't ask any of those questions. Or what are we going to do to save our skin in this scenario? They say, what's right? What's the thing, what's right to do in God's eyes? And it's to keep speaking. Further threats come, verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who, who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. See, you have the religious establishment. They've got all the powerful positions, but they've got no real power. That's slipped away from them because the power is in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John, a belief that Jesus Christ is risen and truly reigns over this world, that is a fantastically liberating and empowering belief for them. It reminded me, you may have heard this before, but um, uh, one of those great stories, the, uh, the early church father, Chrysostom, John Chrysostom in the fourth century, uh, he stood before a very hostile emperor, uh, the Emperor Arcadius, he's been rude about him and his adulterous affairs. And uh, so Arcadius says, I've had enough of you, stop. So he summons, are you, there you are, summoned in front of the Emperor of the Roman, em- the emperor of the Roman Empire. That is, this is, anyway, the Emperor uh, of the Empire. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, what would you do? This is a terrific little exchange. So the Emperor Arcadius says to Chrysostom, unless you stop your speaking, we will banish you, reply. You cannot banish me. The whole world belongs to God, my Father. Emperor, we will execute you. You cannot, for my life is hid in Jesus Christ, and I will live forever. Emperor, we will dispossess you of all your estates. You cannot. I don't own any. All my treasure is in heaven. Emperor, well, we will put you in solitary confinement and leave you miserable. You cannot. For I have a divine friend from whom you can never separate me. Emperor, I defy you. There is nothing you can do to hurt me. (laughs) What do you do with a man who's got boldness like that? Verse 21, well, they let them go. We've got no hold on these men. So we let them go. There's a boldness that comes from knowing that this name belongs to the risen king who reigns over all. There's boldness in the name. So they proclaim salvation in the name. They take boldness from the name. And then afterwards, they return to the rest of the the apostles and believers and they call upon the name very briefly. Verse 23. Uh, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. What do you do then? Will you appeal over their heads? Verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our servant, so your servant, our father, David. 
Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, the powerful, they met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. So actually, before they ask for anything, they fill their minds with who God is. He is, verse 24, the sovereign Lord. He's the one who created all things. He's the one who speaks. He's the one who predicted all this. They fill their minds with who God is. They fill their minds with the scriptures. They remind themselves, verse 28, that nothing happens outside of God's plan. Even the death of Jesus was within God's will. They remind themselves to whom they're praying. And then you get the requests, verse 29. Three little requests. Lord, consider their threats is one. Secondly, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness too and stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your servant. Jesus is three. You see those prayers get answered pretty much straight away, I guess. Verse 31, can we have boldness, please? Well, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Can you perform more miracles, please? Well, you see it in chapter five, verse 12, the apostles performed many signs. But I guess here is the confident praying of those who know that Jesus is Lord. And therefore they can appeal to him because he's the sovereign over this earth. And again, what do they pray for? They don't pray, Lord, it's been quite a day. We've been in prison. Can we can tomorrow be a bit easier, please? They don't pray for easier lives, just more. They don't say, Lord, it was a bit rough and we didn't like a night in prison. Can you protect us? They just pray for more boldness. Over the summer, I read a biography of the Scottish reformer John Knox. I think he would have been a slightly intimidating man to have met. Um, if he's, uh, I wouldn't agree with everything he stood for, but uh, golly, uh, he was a man who had uh, fire in his bones. Uh, there in Scotland, five times he was summoned to see the, the monarch. Um, you know, Mary, uh, Queen of Scots, uh, five times summoned before Mary Stuart. Five times she demanded that he stopped preaching. He refused. He said, I am not master of myself. I must obey him who commands me to speak plain. I do not flatter any flesh upon the face of the earth. Five times, some of all Mary and all her ministers, five times he walked away. And she was reported as saying, I am more afraid of the prayers of John Knox than an army of 10,000 men. If he prays with the boldness that he speaks to me, I find that terrifying. (laughs) Calling on the name of Jesus. Now, what do we do with this Jesus then? How do we respond to his name? Oh, I guess if we're Christians, we, we speak boldly. That's the implication. That's what's modeled. And if we find that hard, we say, Lord, help us to speak boldly. I'm not entirely sure that in the 21st century we'll get what they had in the unique events then. I don't think the building will shake uh, if we do that here and now. I'm not sure uh, we're in unusual times like they were then. But... 
the Lord will give us what we need to speak of him. And no matter where you stand before Jesus, I hope you see what a wonderful name this is. You could view it negatively or turn it around and make it more positive. There is no other name by which anyone must be saved but the name of Jesus. But of course, you flip that around and say, but there is a name by which you can be saved. That is, that is wonderful. And it, it is eccentric to object to a name which can save you. If uh, uh, this week you were told you urgently needed to have a liver transplant, your liver is failing, you have got weeks left before it's all over. That's desperate news. But if someone says, but extraordinarily, there's a liver available today uh, of that will be a perfect match. The, the, the bloods and everything will match. It's available today. There's just one liver that fits you and it's available today. It would be eccentric to turn around and say, well, I don't want it today. It's inconvenient today. What about next week? Can I have a liver next week? Can I have a liver next month? But there's one available today. They don't come up very often. You'd grab it. If you're on some tropical island and the alarm goes off and you're told there's a hurricane coming through and it's going to flatten this island, but there is a boat that can get everyone off the island. It's leaving in half an hour. It would be eccentric to say, well, I don't want to leave in half an hour. Half an hour doesn't give me enough time to pack. I want to leave tomorrow when I've packed and enjoyed one more sunset. No, today. It's going today. There's only one and it goes today, but there is a boat by which you may be saved. Get on the boat. Not today. I don't like your exclusive tone. <laughs> there, is a, there is a way you can be saved for eternity. In the paralyzed man, you get a, a, just a little temporal, small-scale hint of the world to come. And you trust in this name, this one, Jesus Christ, you can be saved. There's a way you can be saved. There is only one, but there is a way. Trust him. Trust him. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And you have provided a savior in Jesus Christ. He is the one we need. Would we not turn away from him in pride, in irritation that we can't save ourselves, that there is no other way? Would we be thrilled that in him there is a way we can be saved and cling to that name and speak of that name boldly? Amen.